Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. It's a raccoon from outside, just like all those dead animals that were upstairs. This wood had those sigils, those wards on it. And now the raccoon seems to be kind of moving on to the next plank of wood around the left side of the window, trying to like rip it down. Constantine, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm helping. I'm helping. I'm helping. I'm helping. You see a person hunched over, clutching their chest. And though you haven't seen her in in many years, and she looks older than the last time you saw her, you feel sure that the woman is Myrtle. Evan watches whatever it is Constantine's doing, and then just looks to Margaret and isn't totally clear on what to do right away. Constantine is running right at this figure, and it looks to you like the reanimated corpse of Red Jake. And this for you is the, the most terrifying thing that you've ever seen or experienced. For Brandy? Yes. (laughs) I mean, she shoots that doll. She is firing some bursts into that doll. Merle, is this this what you wanted me to see? Is this a sign? Is Is this how to stop this all? Jack, Grandpa Jack, are you there? It's going to be okay, Constantine. It's it's going to be okay. Here, get down on your knees. We'll show you the way. Ross's Corner, Massachusetts, April 26th, 1926. Maggie McFurder just had a feeling that something was wrong. When you lived out on a farm like she did, you heard noises all the time. It was just too quiet around the house not to hear the smallest scratches and clanks. She wasn't sure if she had heard something out near the horses or if it was just her intuition, but she wanted to go check. Maggie's husband was long asleep, passed out more accurately, on the couch in the living room. Maggie walked right past him. She wished she could wake him up, make him go outside and check. It was spring, true, but it still got cold at night after the sun went down, and Maggie didn't relish going out at this time of night. But it would take her so long to get him up and out of the house that it felt easier to go herself. She was sure nothing was wrong, but she grabbed the axe that was sitting by the door anyway. You could never be too careful, and her intuition was usually right in these situations. She hefted the axe over her shoulder and then made her way toward the barn. She was nearing the door of the barn when she heard it. She thought it sounded like a man's voice calling to her from the woods at the edge of their property. Whatever it was she had heard before that brought her out here, if she had indeed heard anything, it wasn't this. Now she was starting to get a bit afraid. But as she listened more closely, she could swear that it was her husband's voice calling to her. Maggie, it said, low like a whisper, but loud enough that she could hear it. Maggie, come here. I need your help. Was it possible that he had woken up and slipped outside? But why? And how did he know she was out here? Maggie paused for a moment before deciding what to do. She would come back to check on the horses. She clutched the axe more tightly in her hands and made her way to where she heard the voice from. As she neared the woods, she saw a man standing at the tree line, and though it was dark, she was sure it was her husband. Patrick? Patrick, is that you? She whispered. At that moment, the wind began to swirl, rustling the trees and blowing Maggie's hair into her eyes. She closed them for a moment, and when she opened them again, her husband was nowhere to be found but in his place was something unlike anything Maggie had ever dreamed of, let alone seen. There was only one thing to do. She started to run.
So I know that we're coming up to a pretty climactic moment here. Um, so I do, I do have a question for us to talk about before we, before we start. But I, first, I just want to check in with you, Adam. How are you feeling? Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> I think the writing is uh, on the wall. I, I don't feel super confident, and I am sad. <laughs> I did. I, I like you know, Constantine obviously has his flaws, but I have really enjoyed playing him. I hope I continue to get to play him through this episode and get to. Have a nice uh, ride off to the sunset moment. But I will say, by this point, I've had a lot of characters die. And sometimes it's... <laughs> okay, most of the time it's my own fault and my own choices. So yeah, like I've gotten I've gotten a good amount of practice with this um, in games that you have run. I was just going to say, so. I, I, I believe that your... That my first ever GMing killing a character was a character of yours and i remember that one like really affected me like i I was i was very like shaken up by by having going through that experience because it was like not early on it was like six years into us playing pathfinder yeah and i i spent i mean the first the first time we played there were lots of oh you get a hero point you can live again Uh, i guess you but I, i spent a lot of time and effort on that character and like put a lot of thought and energy into it and so like it did feel like i've heard other people say like character death like it's you put you know energy and you put a little part of yourself into it so it's like a little part of yourself dying and i i feel that i i'll feel a little bit like that with constantine but also like you know it's it's part of the story and the narrative if it happens so that's what makes good stories right like threats of actual permanent things happening to characters yeah, I'm, Nick, I've definitely killed one of your characters before because I definitely TPK'd the group at least one time in a Pathfinder That's, that's exactly what I was thinking of, um, where you said it was six years in that before you killed your first character. It had to be two years after that where you just killed us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, uh, you moved on pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, somehow I, somehow I survived. Brandy, have I ever killed any of your characters that you remember? I don't remember. I can't remember if Soldier Boy lived or died. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brandy played Soldier Boy in a Delta Green one shot. Uh, we played uh, PX Poker Night for those who know what it is. Uh, but I, I think Soldier Boy survived. What's his real name? Calvin? Is, is it Calvin or am I making was, that up? Is that uh, just... like Antoine or something? It's not Calvin because Snoop Dogg's real name is Calvin. Right, right, um, right, right, right. Antoine or something. Yeah. And I do think, so this kind of leads us into the question that I was going to ask, which is, you know, in Pathfinder, I would say death is rare and it's meant to be rare unless the GM in some ways, you know, kind of screws up and kind of misbalances intentionally or unintentionally an encounter. You have to be pretty unlucky for one death, let alone a TPK. But now that I've started playing and we've I've brought it to, to this group a little bit, Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu, death is obviously much more on the table. So I'm curious after, you know, now seven Seven episodes worth of playing Call of Cthulhu, plus some Delta Green experience. Do you, what do you think of this system compared to Pathfinder, or just in general? Like, do you like it? Are you enjoying it? Like the mechanics, the vibe. I I like it in terms of D and D or Pathfinder. I find at times gets very um, the combat gets very like JRPG, just turn based. Accomplish the goal of yep. killing the enemy. Uh, I think it's very easy to fall into that. And so I, I think it's it's much harder just in the way the combat's based in this game to do so. Yeah, I agree with that. Even the, even though I do think this game is a little crunchy, it's it's even a little crunchier than I think Delta Green is. It's definitely still there's kind of a narrative focus to it, and combat. It's just not it's not a combat focused game like Pathfinder definitely is. 
Well, there's not, uh, you know, dozens of rules governing combat. I feel like I've right, got about right. three rules in mind, and I just kind of tell you <laughs> what I try to do as opposed to, you know, optimize my spell casting or whatever I used yep. to do. Yeah. Press the digitation! <laughs> Brandy's favorite spell, press the digitation. Yeah, I, I'm with Nick. I don't know if you've noticed, I can't play more than three hours of Pathfinder before I am completely done. You I certainly could never yes. tell. <laughs> You couldn't, you couldn't tell at all. Whereas with this, three hours like, is actually a uh, pretty good. My wife and I were just talking this morning about like once we hit two hours, I'm looking at Twitter on my phone. Oh no, I meant total, like, uh, like ever. not not in a session. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but with but with this, I feel I feel like anything can happen. Whereas Nick's right, it is super JRPG, and I have played enough of those that I know where they're going to go. But with Delta Green or with Call of Cthulhu, it's like, you could die. You could go insane. You could just, I don't know, trip on a loose floorboard. Like, <laughs> So it's it's a lot easier to stay engaged. Plus, these are shorter scenarios, which helps a That's lot. That's true, too, yeah. So I like these. I, I, I like these versions of tabletop RPGs a lot. So, Brandy, you're saying that you are not excited for when I transition this group to Massive Nyarlathotep, which, you know, is like a multi-year worldwide campaign that will take just for the rest of our lives. I mean, is Grant there? (laughs) Do you want him to be? (laughs) Can can I, like, offload all the rules onto him? I was sure. I was (laughs) just thinking of Grant um, as we discussed this, because I think Grant... strikes me at times playing as the opposite end where he is loving that optimization and he has looked up every single rule and like he knows them and I'm like I don't know can I jump is it possible to jump (laughs) is that against the rules and Grant has like six spells he's casting in a row and they just kill everyone it's great sent out the like initial email that was like would you guys be interested in like a year and a half ago like would you guys be interested in doing this which games do you think you'd be interested in playing Grants was like, yes, I would be interested. And he like clicked like Pathfinder. He clicked like D uh, D, like all of the ones that were just the most intricate games. And I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the, re- the reason that I haven't had Grant on a season. For, for those listening, Grant is Brandy's husband and also a friend of ours from college. Uh, the, all of the games that I feel like he's best suited for are those fantasy games that I haven't run because I've kept all of the seasons based at least with some connection to the real world. Like, I, I have Grant in mind for, like, if I ever want to do, like, an uber dungeon crawl, like, get him in there. He's he's ready for the nitty-gritty. Like, he'll go oh, room yeah. to room and just slaughter everything in there. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I can't do those. Keep me keep me here, please. <laughs> Adam, what about you? I, I do enjoy, uh, maybe not to, I definitely don't have Grant's skill, I do really enjoy Pathfinder. I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it definitely does get grindy. I do like the, the the fantasy aspect of it and maybe especially like the character creation aspects of it. But I will say that in my experience in Pathfinder or, you know, D&D or anything like that, things happen and it's like these are like, you know, it's impossible to kind of imagine like your characters being almost scared because it's like, oh, a eight armed monster comes up and tries to attack you like that's (laughs) part of you that's that's part of your life whereas like in this in the real world i think it's much easier to put yourself in the the shoes of your character of just like you know even i mean even our characters who like accept that the paranormal paranormal is real like there's still that fear like yeah if i saw a raccoon with its chest caved in 
um, you know, trying to eat me and it was a zombie, like, I can imagine, you know, in theory what that's like. So I think that kind of adds to the, makes it a little easier to get in the mood. But I, I enjoy them both. Adam, I think your your, uh, your statements just really clarified a point in my mind, which in D&D and Pathfinder, you're heroes. You're expected exactly. to do this. Yes. In, in, yes. in Delta Green and, and in Call of Cthulhu, I get much more of the sense and kind of I discussed how I built my character. We're people just shoved into this. We got to deal with it. And uh, there, there's something very appealing about that to me. Yeah. And I think absolutely. it's the, the, yeah, you can see it, as Adam said. It's much more about survival rather than like necessarily victory. I like Delta Green, Call of Cthulhu, whatever, because it is a lot more realistic, but it does let me be someone else. Because if I were to see that raccoon in real life, I'd be like, that thing has rabies. And I would get so far away. Whereas like here, I'm like, okay, how would someone else handle this situation? (laughs) Tommy Gunn. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's hop back in. So... When we left, the ritual was still going on, but bad things were happening to our investigators, and particularly to Constantine, who ran outside because he thought that the zombie woman out there was actually Myrtle, his uh, his long-lost friend. She attacked him. He ran away. Red Jake, the zombie version of Red Jake, was also out there, but Margaret blew away both Red Jake and, uh, and the woman with her Tommy gun, and before Constantine started having strange visions of black-robed figures, and he knelt before a couple of them. He saw them as his great-grandfather and his friend Myrtle before it they transformed, and you were raked across the face with an invisible claw. But I am actually going to give you a dodge roll here, because the vision did change, and so you will you will have a chance to try to avoid this. So the, the the raking across the face is a is a it was a flavor rake uh, it, unless you unless you dodge. All right, so I have a dodge of twenty seven, but I rolled a twenty two. Okay, all right, so that's a regular success. So as long as I don't roll a hard or an extreme success, you will have dodged. And I rolled a seventy three, so that's a miss anyway. So they change in into this like roiling mass of bubbling flesh, and you like throw yourself backward and you feel the wind of this claw scrape just past your face but it is your turn what would you like to do um constantine is going to i imagine him kind of like on his back um at like throwing himself backwards since he was on his knees i think he's going to um start crawling backward a little bit and then sprint toward like go toward the house um i think this you know, not totally, obviously, but maybe snapped him out um, of some of the things that's been going on. Obviously, this this creature is trying to use whatever it can to disrupt the ritual, including appearing um, as people from his head. So, at least for at least for the moment, until something else appears, he his goal is to get uh, back into the house. All right, um, Margaret, you are up. You see Constantine drop to his knees. You have no idea what he's doing. And then he flings himself backwards and starts sprinting toward the back door. I like side of the cross at Constantine, but realize that my current priority needs to be reloading my gun. So I go grab the the ammo belt and start reloading. All right. I think it says in the book that for a, for an ammo belt like that, it takes two rounds. So this will be your first round. Evan, I think from a different vantage point, you see the same thing. You're kind of peeking through the front door around the side of the house 
Actually, no, maybe you're looking through the back door. We didn't really we didn't really establish what door. So maybe you're looking through the back door and Constantine's running towards you. Uh, I, I get out of his way. Like, I'm still at the door, <laughs> sure. but I make sure it's wide open for him to uh, get back inside. So, Constantine, you're running and you look behind you for just a second and you see this... It's as if the wind has caught up some of the, the dead grass and the leaves and the branches and is kind of like spinning and following, chasing behind you. And you, th- you, you can almost feel the wind on the back of your neck. But as soon as you cross underneath the threshold of the door, the door slams shut and you all hear this like gust of wind that pushes against the door and rattles the windows but can't get through. Okay, um, I'm going to, like, kind of fall. Once Constantine gets in, he's going to, like, fall to his knees, huffing and puffing. Um, he's not not the, not the greatest athlete in the world, so um, he's not used to, you know, maybe sprinting that much, but he's just going to, you know, both from the exer- physical exertion and also the mental exertion, just kind of fall and puff for a, a round. Yeah, and we're, we're out of combat now, so Margaret finishes reloading her weapon, but how do Evan and Margaret react to this? Uh, Evan's just immediately gonna like kneel down next to Constantine and and do like a quick scan of like life threatening injuries. And I see that Evan has got Constantine taken care of, so I am scanning outside looking for more threats. Sounds good. So Evan, I actually think I, I do think that that um, I don't think Constantine has any injury any recent injuries, but I don't think we ever did a first aid check on him before. And you actually can heal like a little bit, so you could like. I don't know, help him, like, put his, you know, kind of support his shoulder. You know, he's he's been through a lot. So if you want to roll a first aid, you can do that. Oof, not great. Uh, 92. So I'm sure that fails. I don't remember exactly. My, yeah, <laughs> Never mind. 45. So <laughs> okay. you make it work. I'm just like, he's not dead. So <laughs> he's not actively dying. I'll just let it be. Constantine's kind of just like, I, I saw them. I, I, I saw them. I saw, I saw, I saw Grandpa Jack. I saw I saw Myrtle. They they were out there in the you, black figures you, and, and you you and did the you, you did you you saw them and and they're outside. We're it, we're inside now. It's it's all right. Should I go back out and find them? No. A- after the ritual, we'll we'll complete oh, okay. the ritual. Okay. Is the ritual still going on? Is is everyone? Is everything still going on? Yes. We're we're almost okay. done. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. He'll. I think he's. I mean, he's not standing. Uh, maybe he's. He's chanting a little bit. He's trying, but he's sitting on the floor, kind of just watching um, at this point. Yeah. So another five minutes go by, ten minutes go by, and you can all, all three of you can almost just, you can almost tell, you can almost feel that the ritual is coming close to its conclusion because the house starts shaking more violently than it has the entire time. And you can tell that it's like being, like the the creature has moved back up into the attic and is just is rocking the house from side to side. It seems almost inevitable that the house is going to crash down around you at any moment. And then it all stops. And very subtly, almost too subtly for you to notice, a wisp of oily smoke curls down from the ceiling, twisting toward the center of the pentagram on the floor. That's where it's supposed to go, right? Are you saying that out loud, or are you saying that to us? I'm saying that out loud. Can Can Constantine do a uh, a cult check just to see, like, is this how is this how uh, banishing rituals usually go? Sure. Yeah. 
Uh, success, 49 under 65. Yeah, I mean, you don't know a ton about them. You've never actually, like, seen one performed. But the pentagram is both a... It's a it, it serves as kind of a binding symbol. And so you would think in either a summoning or a banishing ritual, the creature needs to be drawn into the pentagram and held there. And then it can either be... You know, it can be sent away through that, or when it appears, it, like, appears through the pentagram. So, seems good. I reclaimed the blanket that I had thrown over Constantine, just in case. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, the ritual didn't say, like, there is a close... It's not like you... There's something we have to do to close it. It just says, continue the ritual. Yep. Right? Based on memory. Okay. So then, yeah. I'll... I'll maybe, Constantine will maybe go, the good, the good, this is good, this is... It's working. I, th- I think it's working. This is... It's what it's supposed to do. It's it's drawing the spirit in so we can banish it. And so the oily smoke starts to rise up and something starts to appear in the center of the pentagram. And you all see this. A woman appears. And I think you all probably would recognize her, though, Margaret, you recognize her most clearly. You see your mother standing in the middle of the pentagram full of life and smiling at you. What do you think's going through your head? I think Margaret is immediately like happy. Like she's missed her mom so much and just seeing seeing her mom even seeing her mom just, you know, re- like realizing that it's not actually her mom. I think her moment of temporary insanity has passed. Like a, we're I am operating under the assumption she knows that it's not actually her mom. She's just really happy to see this this happy image of her mom, this image of her mom that's full of life. But after that immediate moment of happiness, it just hits her that her mom is gone. So she just like falls to her knees and starts crying. And as you do that, the woman says, "No, don't, my love. It's it's okay. It's it's so good to see you. I've I've missed you so much. But but we can be together again." I'm not dead, sweetheart. I was just taken away. But that can all change. Just break this symbol here on the floor. Just with your foot. Just just break it and I I can be with you again. And she, she, Margaret is still just sobbing. I don't... Crying. Not sobbing. And she's like, I know, I know I can't do that. I know I can't do that. I wish that I could do that. But I know, I know it's not really you. I wish it was. Uh, roll me a psychology roll. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think, you know, seeing this, um, Constantine would know, like you said, who this is um, as well. And I think seeing, again, maybe a bit of clarity of, like, what had happened to him and knowledge that he was tricked multiple times feels feels something, like a stir maybe of, of, of who he was before and um, walks over and puts a hand very gingerly on Margaret's shoulder. It was an 80 over 35. Okay. So you can't shake the feeling that there's a small chance that this is your mother. But, you know, based on the way you described it, I think you're able to keep yourself in, keep yourself where you are and just kind of stay on your knees and, you know, maybe look longingly at her. But deep down, you know that that's not really her. I do also think that the, like, grounding presence of Constantine touching her shoulder, like, is significantly helpful. Yeah, like that that's real and the thing in the circle is not. Yes. Yeah. I, I put my hand on your hand, Constantine. And then 
as quickly as she appeared, she disappears in oily smoke again. And another person appears in the center of the pentagram. And you all probably would recognize this person as well, but for you, Evan, specifically, you see your grandfather on the buyer's side, not not an O'Malley, the man whose work gave you everything that you have and the life that you enjoy so much. What do you think Evan's thinking? So this is not the first time that Evan has seen his grandfather as a spirit. So he he's more open to it. This is familiar. This is not an immediate trick to him. And your grandfather looks at you very seriously and says, Evan, I know what you're looking for. A path, a direction. I know the life you're supposed to lead. It will bring you money, yes, so that you never have to worry about whether it will go away because you've earned it yourself. But it will also bring you fulfillment. And I know that's something you've never had. Just stop all this foolishness and I'll tell you what you want to know. I'll tell you what your path should be. So Evan takes one step forward. Margaret is still crying because she still wishes her mom were there. But she's like, it's not real, Evan. It's not real. It's not It's not really him. And then that breaks him. Yeah, that, that, that breaks the focus. And, and yeah, so he will look back at Constantine and, and Margaret. And Constantine just nods like slowly once, like kind of an agreement. That, that look from Constantine that connects in a way. Um, his view of Constantine has changed in that moment. That, that nod means something. The leveling between them has a... Evan has seen him as a peer and someone he should listen to. So he, uh, he stops and waits. All right, go ahead and give me a psychology roll as well. That is a 29 over 10. <laughs> not a perceptive man, Evan. No. <laughs> not, not in touch with other people's feelings. No. So the image of your grandfather remains, and again, much like with Margaret, at the back of your mind, and especially I think for you because you have seen him after death before, you think this could be real. And maybe you're even sure that it's real, that, that he is communicating with you, he is contacting you. But I think the presence of Margaret and Constantine keep you from engaging with him. And then he falls apart as well. And once more, the smoke kind of forms into another image. And though you hadn't seen her face in years, now for the third time tonight, Myrtle comes to you, Constantine. She's standing in the room in the center of the pentagram, wearing a camera around her neck and smiling at you. And she says... Constantine, damn, it's great to see you. Can't believe how good you've gotten those those photos of yours. They're truly incredible. And they're really, they're all for me? I could blush. I bet you want to know what happened to me, don't you? Well, I know, and I can tell you. Just let me out of this thing, and I'll tell you everything. Um, and I think, again, it being, it being the third time changes it maybe a little bit for him. And I think he maybe smiles like a, a, a sad... A sad smile, very, very unlike um, anything anyone's seen from him lately. And, and I think that he, I, I, I don't know, like, I th- think that he maybe takes a step forward and there's the majority of him can't can't see the reason and this is what has driven him on this path. But the brush with death and the connection with um, Margaret and Evan and seeing what they've seen I don't even think he says anything. I think he just 
he doesn't break eye contact. Tears probably, you know, a tear or two stream down his face, but he just, he stands there and watches and waits. All right, make me a psychology roll, please. That's a six, that's a hard success with a nine under 40. Poor, poor Constantine. Um, so this <laughs> is now bad. the third, this is now the third time you've seen Myrtle tonight and your mind is learning how to throw off the ruse that this creature is using on you and you force yourself to see through Myrtle. But what that leads you to is seeing the true form of this creature. And all of a sudden, Myrtle transforms into this horrible, twisting mass of talons and maws and long appendages, more horrible than anything you've ever seen. You see the talons that swiped just past your face, and I need you to roll me a sanity check. Oh, come on. I was so happy for his hard success. <laughs> I rolled, I'm not kidding you, I rolled an eight, and my current sanity is nine. <laughs> <laughs> so you take one more point of sanity damage, but I'm going to say that because of everything you've been through, you're able to, that it, it almost doesn't quite register, and you're able to keep yourself from moving. And then with a final horrible shriek. The wisps of oily smoke start to swirl into a roiling mass of wind. The house shakes. Wood panels start to crack. And then in the next instant it disappears and everything falls silent. Only the lingering smell of unearthly foulness remains. And we're going to cut off the scene there. And over the next couple of days the three of you you leave the farmhouse you head back to Arkham, probably head back down to Boston. The family, your uh, Constantine's and Margaret's grandparents come and claim this farmhouse. They immediately put it up for sale and wonder why great-grandfather Jack ever kept this property, never told anybody about it, never used it, but they put it up for sale. You all attend the funeral of Jack O'Malley, and I think the three of you, you know, if, if, this, if none of this had happened over the past 48 hours you would have probably waved at each other at the funeral, smiled, maybe shaken hands, but it wouldn't have meant much. But now I think the bond that the three of you have formed, you know, you, you probably stay close together at the funeral. And then, as Grandpa Jack had said, the will is read. His will is read. And all three of you are called to the will reading, which again, 48 hours ago, you would have thought, why, what's being left to me? I wouldn't, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have expected it. But, now it's a little less surprising. And when the will is read out, you learn that O'Malley Investigations has been left to the three of you. And you three are now, uh, you know, not to any of the other family members, you three are now in charge of the family business, which of course causes a major uproar among the family. I think both Margaret and Constantine's fathers, who are basically running the day-to-day -day of the business at this point, are absolutely outraged. Um, they have no no idea why this could have happened, uh, but yet it's the lawyers say it's as as clear as could be. He was very specific that the three of you are meant to take over the business, and that is where our story is going to come to a close. Uh, but like I like to do with every season, I want to give each of you a chance to kind of share just a some thoughts or a moment about what happens to each of your characters in the 
week or weeks or the, the next month or so kind of coming out of this experience? This is not the answer to your question, but my image of us at the funeral was I was in between, or Margaret was in between Constantine and Evan and holding both of their hands. Oh, <laughs> it's very sweet. What's the wealth situation here? <laughs> uh, this is, I, this is hard. No, I know, I know. I mean, it is, it is, um, you would not have to continue to work your other jobs. This, there's, there, the business is good enough that, uh, that it would sustain you. Okay. Margaret goes to her mother's grave, as she frequently does, but relates the whole tale, apologizes for not clearing a line in the pentagram, just in case that was really her. But it was a risk that she couldn't take. And isn't, has her, asks her mom, talks to her mom. She's not sure what to do. Quitting Jitterbugs is an easy decision. It's a little less easy to remove yourself from the mob. <laughs> so she is still working for them, with them, for them. She's a little bit more, you know, confident in herself now. So she isn't letting herself get talked down to as much, but is still a hitman, I guess. <laughs> a casual hitman. A cash hitman. Um, she still lives with her younger siblings, but since she's basically in charge of the business, she's got more money. Her, her siblings are able to finish, or will be able to finish their education. She gives her dad more money as, as an employee of hers now with the stipulations that he has to be home more. She takes, she gives him more money and less work. The dream. <laughs> but he has to stay home and take care of the rest of his children. And she is, she does research still. Not as in, much like Evan, not as into doing the actual investigation, but she continues to do research for O'Malley investigations and continues to work for the mob doesn't know how she's going to extricate herself from that, but does want to. And she is still vaguely feeling like she has to take care of everyone. So Evan, uh, Evan throws himself into the business, but into the actual business side of it. He, uh, he has enough education and, and, uh, book learning, you know, he, he's running through the finances. He is, uh, updating the archives. He, he's making sure everything run is running smoothly as a a functioning business and but as much as possible avoiding the actual investigation part of it that is because at night at home he is trying to summon his grandfather's spirit again he he has no confidence he made the right choice in not accepting that offer so he he may have some more tasks and some more immediate things to do but he has a lot more questions and and not not any that have easy answers. Amazing. I I think that Constantine disappears for a while. You know, maybe he maybe he leaves a note, maybe he doesn't. He probably I'm gonna say he doesn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like something he'd do. Um not like, you know, not like out of nowhere nowhere maybe he you know stays a little bit at the funeral keeps to himself as he has been um but maybe it's um three months six months and no one no one has heard from him and then one day he shows up at 
I'm assuming a lot of things, but um, shows up at the the office, the main, the O'Malley investigation office, and he looks. I mean, you know, he he is not fashionable by any sense, but maybe his clothes aren't quite as wrinkled. Um, you'd notice that the camera around his neck is not. Uh, it's a it's a newer version. It's a it's a modern 1926 camera rather than the the old beat up one that he'd been using. Um, and his eyes are maybe a little less darty. He maybe he makes a little more eye contact. And um, you know, if Evan and or Margaret are there, I imagine him kind of walking in um, and looking Evan um, or Margaret in the eye, and just very simply with more confidence in your voice, his voice um, than you probably heard the entire time you were with him. Maybe maybe similar to how he was um, a little bit at the end when everything was going on. He just looks and says, I think I'm ready. Love it. And that is where our story is going to end for now. Arkham, Massachusetts, April 29th, 1926. Officer James Coletti sat at his desk at the Arkham Police Department, reviewing his notes from the case. A cigarette dangled limply from his fingers, almost forgotten as he considered what he'd seen. She had a hole in her chest, he thought, as if something had reached in and ripped out her organs. Not even as if that had happened. Her organs were missing. That is what had happened. Almost 48 hours after Maggie McFurder, a local woman from Ross's Corner, had been reported missing by her husband, her body was found out in the woods near her farm in a state unlike anything Officer Coletti had seen in his nearly 20 years on the force. He shuddered to even think about it, but it was his job to think about it, to understand it as best he could, so that he could find out who had done it. His main suspect, of course, was Maggie's husband, Patrick. He'd spoken with Patrick a number of times in the past few days, and the man swore that he was asleep on the couch when his wife went missing. He said he vaguely remembered her going out after dark, saying something about hearing a disturbance out by the horses, but he had been so drunk that night that it was hard to tell if he was lying or had just lost much of his memory. The stranger thing, other than the state of the body, of course, was that it had been found closer to another property, one that had sat abandoned for decades before the day after Maggie had been reported missing. Was it possible that the sudden emergence of relatives of the owner of that abandoned farmhouse had just happened to coincide with Maggie's disappearance? Patrick certainly didn't think so, going on and on about the no-good city folk that came snooping around just after she went missing. Officer Coletti hadn't thought much of Patrick's claims. That is, until about an hour ago. The detective's thoughts were broken by the arrival of three of the least likely murder suspects he'd ever seen. A young girl who looked like she was still in her teens, a man wearing a three-piece white suit and an eye patch, and another larger man with a camera around his neck. Thank you for coming, folks, Officer Coletti began as the three sat down across from him. I'll get right to the point. As I believe you know, a woman's body was found in the woods on a property in Ross's Corner that belongs to the late Jack O'Malley, a relative of yours. You three were seen arriving in Ross's Corner on the day after her disappearance, asking for directions to and questions about said property. When her body was recovered, it had a hole in its chest, numerous organs removed, and bullet holes scattered from head to toe. And just about an hour ago, we've recovered fingerprints off of one of the shell casings of the bullets that were found in the woman, and those fingerprints belong to one of you. Now, do you mind explaining how that could be possible? Then Officer Coletti leaned back in his chair, took a drag from his cigarette, and waited for an answer. Arkham, Massachusetts, 
June 1st, 1927. Lucas Reese heard the bell above the door ring as he entered the offices of O'Malley Investigations. Lucas had known about the business for quite a while. It was a bit of an institution in Arkham, as it had been around for so long, but truly never believed he'd require their services. But their reputation had grown over the past year or so since some of the younger members of the O'Malley family had taken over the business. It had become more reputable in some ways, or at least he didn't feel ashamed requesting their assistance. The office lobby felt comfortable, with leather furniture and wood-paneled walls. If the O'Malley's were trying to make potential clients feel at home, they were succeeding. No one was behind the desk when Lucas arrived, so he rang the bell that sat there and looked around, waiting for someone to emerge from the back room. Four portraits hanging on the wall drew Lucas's attention, and he went over to inspect them. The images of two men and two women hung in a row, framed with name plaques below them. Jack O'Malley. Annie O'Malley. Patrick O'Malley. Lucille O'Malley. It was clear from the portraits that Jack and Patrick were brothers. They looked as if they could have been twins. And then Lucas noticed the dates below each name. It seemed as though all four of them had passed away, and that Jack had died just more than a year ago. No wonder younger members of the family had taken over the business. The old guard was gone. At that moment, a young woman came out from the back room and smiled at Lucas. Hi, sir. Welcome to O'Malley Investigations. I'm Lenore. How can we help you? Lucas took a deep breath and approached her. Hi, Lenore. I'm hoping to engage your services in inspecting a property that has just come into my possession. It was passed to me under somewhat strange circumstances, and I'm just not sure what I'm going to find when I go there. I thought having some professional assistance might be useful. Lenore nodded and pulled out a leather-bound notebook to write down the information he'd shared. No problem, sir. And your name is? Lucas Reese. And this property? Where did you say it was? Oh, I don't believe I did. It isn't far from here, in Innsmouth. I believe the property is known as the Crawford House. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Chaosium Inc. slash Moon Design Publications LLC, which are used under Chaosium Inc.'s fan material policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Chaosium Inc. For more information about Chaosium Inc.'s products, please visit chaosium.com. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>